Dear Heavenly Father, I just want to come before you this morning and just say thank you. Thank you for bringing us here. Thank you for allowing us to know you personally. and Thank you for giving us your word, Lord. I pray that today, as we look at chapter 7 of Esther, that it would be a blessing to us, that we would just learn new truths in you, Lord. I pray that you'd calm my nerves and just fill me with your spirit, Lord, and let your word go forth in that that um, if there's anything of me, that you would just let it decrease, take it away, and, and let only you come forth right now, Lord. I pray for this message. I pray that it would be blessed and that each one of the ladies here would be blessed to receive it, Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So, because of our long break, I'm going to do a little recap, kind of catch us all back up. So far, we've seen Esther become queen. And she's kept her heritage of being a Jew secret. Mordecai and Haman have had their incident where Mordecai refused to bow down to Haman. And um, Mordecai shared that he was a Jew. And that thrust the situation into a huge plot to exterminate the Jews. Haman made that plan. He talked to the king and it was, the king said, sure, take my ring and make it so. Um... And then Mordecai was in mourning, and he sent word to Esther to ask her to intervene. And um, at first she was a little chicken and said, mm I could die. And then, after talking more about it, and um, yeah, she decided to take action, but she needed to fast and pray. So she, she waited on the Lord and then took action. And Esther bravely went before the king unsummoned, which was also dangerous for her. She could have been punished by death, but he tipped his scepter towards her and let her come in. And um, instead of telling exactly what was on her mind right then, she invited Haman and him over to a banquet. And she did not express her need at the first banquet. She waited. And she invited them to a second banquet. As Haman left, he was feeling pretty hoity-toity and high and mighty, like he's super fancy. Only him and the king got to go to a dinner with Miss Queen Esther. He felt really great until he saw Mordecai and reminded him about how Mordecai wasn't sipping the Kool-Aid thinking that Haman was amazing. He wasn't bowing down to him, and that just really made Haman grumpy again. So when he came home, his wife was like, just kill him. That's what I would do. And, um, no, I wouldn't tell my husband to do that, but that's what she was saying. She's like, just get rid of him if he's making you so grumpy. So, Haman had concocted the plot to have, have the Jews killed, but it wasn't enough. He wanted to kill Mordecai. Okay, so, but the night before Haman could go get permission, that night a couple things happened. Haman had the gallows made, before he asked, he has a problem with taking action before he has permission. He just like makes plans and then asks. But also that night, the king had um, trouble sleeping, and they uh, he called somebody to come read to him from the king's chronicles. It just happened to be the night it, he was reading from, reminding the king about when Mordecai saved his life, and the king was reminded that he had done nothing for. 
Haman, or the king did nothing for Mordecai as a return of the favor of saving his life. So, the next morning, Haman is going over to the palace to tell the king, ask the king if he could have Mordecai killed. But King had had a different night and was looking to reward Mordecai. So the king was looking for his some advice, and he looks out in the court, and Haman's there. So he calls Haman in, and he says, What should I do to a man whom the king delights to honor? And in Haman's pride, we know that he's very prideful and very full of Haman, he's thinking, Who else would the king want to honor but me? So he came up with that really great idea of parading the man. The man whom the king delights to honor has to be paraded on the king's horse in a robe the king's worn, and and we shout about how wonderful he is. And then the king says, Do everything you just said to Mordecai. Leave nothing undone. How humiliating. So not only did he come up with this great idea about parading the person Not only was it not him, it was his nemesis. And then after that, he was feeling really low, and he went home, and his wife changed her tune. Instead of saying, just kill him, she's like, what does she say? She says, if this is a Jew that you're beginning to fall in front of, then you're going to fail. So, and then while they were having this discussion about how he couldn't defeat Mordecai, he was interrupted and taken to the palace for the next banquet. And that's where we begin chapter 7. So, it says, if you would like to turn in your Bibles to Esther chapter 7, it says in verse 1, so the king and Haman went to dine with Queen Esther. And I, I was just thinking, after all that has happened with Haman and Mordecai and the king and Esther, at this moment, Haman is probably super perplexed, perplexed and in in a special kind of mood. He was interrupted from his wife. He's grumpy because he didn't get to kill Mordecai. And his pride is wounded and his wrath is stoked. And he's, I, I don't know that he knew why Mordecai was being honored. He just knew that he had to go and flaunt his enemy, which he probably didn't like. So he's feeling flustered and probably not enjoying himself as much because he's not as important in his mind anymore. He's realized that he's not the most important thing. And the king is probably also feeling a little odd because he's trying to figure out what's going on with his wife. She's kind of being aloof, not telling him what's wrong and kind of sneaking, not being sneaky, but just not being straightforward. So he's in a mood, like trying to figure out what's going on with his wife. And Esther is also in a mood because she's probably feeling stressed and nervous and so, just there's a lot of feelings at this little at this little banquet. So, continuing on in verse two, and on the second day at the banquet of wine, the king again said to Esther, "What is your petition, Queen Esther? It shall be granted to you. And what is your request? Up to half the kingdom, it shall be done." So the king is. He's not waiting around. You know, they served the wine. They've gotten started at the banquet. And he's like, okay, Esther, what's happening here? What's what's bothering you? And this was the third time that he'd asked her. And he's not entirely patient. We know that about him. But this is when Esther finally has the courage. 
And you can tell that the Lord is giving that to her because she's, and he also has perfect timing. Like she didn't come, she didn't make her request known to him when she first came to the throne room. And she didn't do it at the second, at the first banquet. But that gave, there was perfect timing for that because that night the king had the dream or couldn't sleep and then realized about Mordecai and he was able to reward him. So it all had perfect timing. And it it had that fresh in the king's mind about Mordecai the Jew who had saved his life. And it's not that Esther knew that any of that was going to happen. It's just the Lord works perfect timing. So when you're hesitant to take action, sometimes that's the Lord prompting you to, to wait on those things. And he has perfect timing on that. Um... That the Lord, the Lord has been working behind the scenes here in all of this. And in the memory verse of our Bible study, it says, to everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. And then it kind of cuts out some of the ex, like some of the verse, and it says a time to keep silent and a time to speak. So right now, it was time for Esther to speak. And God met her in that moment and gave her exactly the words she needed and the courage she needed to get the words out. And it says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, that for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. And this is one of my favorite verses that I cherish. One, uh, at one of my times of need, the Holy Spirit brought it to my remembrance that, that when I needed to be encouraged to cast off my fears, he reminded me from this truth in his word that he's not given us a spirit of fear. That's our flesh. But if we lean into him and trust in him, that he will give us power and love and a sound mind. And Esther was taking a step of faith here as she was going to confront her adversary straight on, right right in front of her. And um, in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 7, it says, For we walk by faith and not by sight. And that's what Esther was doing here. She was... Taking this step, no matter what was going to happen to her, she was going to do it. So, when we face trials, we all face trials, and we do scary, hard things in our life, like me teaching right now. (laughs) We all have things that are scary in our life. Things that are little, that might not scare other people, but that scare us. Or just big, big things that are scary. And we are told... In the, we're encouraged in the Bible to seek the Lord, to pray, to, to seek him diligently before taking actions. For example, when Esther, she fasted and she waited and she prayed. She remembered, she remembered that there is a time to speak and a time to be quiet. She knew when. She was, she was wise in when to speak, when it was time to talk to her husband about what was happening. We can trust that the Lord will be there with us when we do need to speak and not to be afraid that he's, that he's, he's God of everything. He's, he's all powerful. He's in control and he can help us through all these things. We just need to walk in faith and trusting that he is able. And just as we are reminded in Matthew 7, verses 7 through 11, it says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. 
and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you, if his son asks for bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? Our God is good to us. He wants to bless us and guide us. We need to knock. We need to ask. Because he's a good, good father. So back to Esther, chapter 7, verse 3. It says, The queen Esther answered and said, If I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it pleases the king, let my life be given me at my petition and my people at my request. And you can see, as you read how she words this, she shows great tact and wisdom. Um, She reminds the king of his affections toward her and reminding him that he has had favor towards her. And um, she wants to be pleasing to him. So she says, if it pleases the king, giving him as much respect that she can and being very tactful in the way that she says this. And then she goes on in verse 4. She says, for we have been sold, my people and I, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. Had we been sold as male and female slaves, I would have held my tongue, although the enemy could never compensate for the king's loss. So she's saying, if we'd have been sold as slaves, I wouldn't have bothered you with this, but to have a decree to destroy and kill and annihilate, she didn't have to embellish. That was what Haman put in his decree. It wasn't just to have them killed. He wanted to kill, destroy, and annihilate. So she didn't have to get, she didn't have to exaggerate to make her point. She just had to say exactly what was planned for her people. And then she says about the king's loss. It's a reminder to the king that the queen whom he loved would be killed. And she's just very tactful in how she addresses the whole situation. She doesn't turn into a nervous wreck. She very calmly states what's planned for her people. And she uses wisdom in how she words it. So in verse 5, it says, So King Ahasuerus answered and said to Queen Esther, Who is he and where is he? Who would dare presume in his heart to do such a thing? And Esther said, The adversary and the enemy is this wicked Haman. So Haman was terrified before the king and queen. And the king arose in his wrath from the banquet of wine and went into the palace garden. Can you imagine? Like, I just always like to picture it. You're in this banquet, you're with the king and queen, and you're just sipping on your wine, and then all, and you're listening to the conversation, and you're like, hmm, that sounds familiar. Oh my gosh, that's me! I did that. And then the king is very angry, and you know, he has a history of being erratic, and he doesn't value human life that much, and he's very quick to kill people when they make him angry. So Haman was terrified. But, a little contrary to his usual habit, he stepped out. <clears throat> he stepped out and took a moment. But we'll, we'll just get to that in a minute. Um, here, Esther is able to say exactly what she needs to say. She confronts her adversary head on. And it just reminded me of in Esther 4.16 where she said, If I perish, I perish. She couldn't have known what the king was going to do. And Haman, Haman was his bestie, you know, like his number two, his high priest or... You know, his, he was the number two in the kingdom. And so the king has great affection for his wife, but they don't value women as much as they do now. You know, it, 
It could have gone either way, and she was taking a great risk, but she was taking it in faith. I mean, the king could have not believed her and cast her out like he did Vashti, and, or he could have been like, you're just crazy, you need to go, like, you need, like, he could have just not believed her, and it, it could have ended differently, but she took this step of faith, not knowing what would happen. So, like I was talking about how the king stepped out for a minute instead of taking quick action. He took a moment. He's consumed with wrath towards Haman, yet he steps out. He's thinking, I think, I think he's, he's, it's all coming back to him. It's coming together. He leaves, he goes to the garden, he takes his, he's taking five, and it starts to ring a bell. Haman did ask me to do that. And then he's starting to feel bad because he never asked who was these people that he was going to have killed. He never asked any questions. He said, sure, here's my ring and do it. So he's starting to have, I believe, he's starting to have some remorse, thinking about, oh, no, I've, I said yes. So he's party to this. He's a part of the problem. And um, if only he would have listened to Haman's request and asked some questions. And maybe asked the nationality of his wife. He could have asked her that. But he didn't. And he just handed over his seal and said, whatever you want to do, do it. In Proverbs 18, verse 13, it says, To answer before listening, that is folly and shame. And he's definitely experiencing some shame. And he has run into some folly. So, in, back to Esther chapter 7, verse 7, it says, But Haman stood before the queen Esther, pleading for his life, for he saw that evil was determined against him by the king. Haman knew that the king was mad. He'd seen, he'd seen King Xerxes get mad. He knew what could happen. He knew that it's very likely his end was near. But he was grasping at straws. He was grasping at the queen, asking seeking mercy from her because he knew that that was possibly his only way is to get Queen Esther to have mercy on him. And then I think about Queen Esther. Wouldn't you be frightened if you had just faced your adversary, the king was gone, yet you were left with your adversary, and then he started like grabbing your skirt and begging you to not have him killed? And she's just probably like trying to take some deep breaths to get over this really scary thing she just did. Well, It didn't go well for Haman because it says in verse 8 that when the king returned from the palace garden to the place of the banquet of wine, Haman had fallen across the couch where Esther was, probably like like my three-year-old when I say, when I'm like determined and say no, then he's like defeated and throws himself on the floor. Sometimes it's quiet, sometimes it's loud, but a lot of times it's just a defeated throwing himself on the floor. I picture, you know, Haman was reverting to his childhood a little. He fell across the couch where Esther was. And then the king said, will he also assault the queen while I am in the house? So for him, when he came back in, it didn't look like Haman was begging. It looked like Haman was kind of attacking her, getting in her private space. And that's all the king needed to see. It was the straw that broke the camel's back, you could say. He was already piping piping hot mad. And then he came and saw Haman grabbing at his queen 
in desperation. He was a desperate man begging for mercy. He was crossing lines. He was not he was not to touch any of the king's ladies, and yet he was grabbing at her skirt and begging for mercy. And fell on the couch that she was reclining on, because back then they used to eat in a reclining fashion. And so that was all he needed to see. So as the words left the king's mouth, in verse 8, it says they covered Haman's face. And that was a sure sign of his demise. They covered his face because he was to be executed. And they did that back then. They would put a black thing over their head. And it, it rings true what it says in the Bible about how evil and unrighteousness will come back to bite you. Um, I'm going to read a few verses that um, talk about that. If you want to write them down or you can turn there with me. Uh, The first one is Job 4, verse 8. And Job says, As I have observed, those who plow evil and and those who sow trouble reap it. Proverbs 22, 8, it says, Whoever sows injustice reaps calamity, and the rod they wield in fury will be broken. Galatians 6, 7 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever man sows, that he will also reap. Psalm 7.16 says that the trouble they cause recoils on them. Their violence comes down on their own heads. Proverbs 11.5 The righteousness of the blameless makes their path straight, but the wicked are brought down by their own wickedness. So it says in the Bible many times that if you are plotting evil, it's, it's going to come back to you. So verse 9 of Esther chapter 7, it says, Now Harbona, one of the eunuchs, said to the king, Look, the gallows fifty cubits high, which Haman made for Mordecai, who spoke good on the king's behalf, is standing at the house of Haman. The king said, Hang him on it. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he prepared for Mordecai. And the king's wrath was subsided. That's the end of chapter 7. But the story isn't over yet, but it seems that it's getting better for the Jews. The villain is defeated. And it it says in Proverbs chapter 26, verse 27, whoever digs a pit will fall into it. If someone rolls a stone, it will roll back at them, back on them. So I just think about how Haman had this big plan to take out the people that were making him angry, and it turned turned on him. He ended up being killed on the very gallows that he had made for Mordecai. I was reading um, David Gusick's little commentary, and I, I really loved what he was saying. He was talking about how he was just sharing about all these same things, what the Bible says about when you, when you reap an evil, you'll, that's what you'll sow. And then it was, he was saying it's possibly the best example of this is when Satan thought he had won by getting the crown to crucify Jesus, but it ultimately spelled out his defeat as Jesus defeated sin and death on the cross. So I think about that. Isn't that a wonderful thing? It can go both ways. Even though Haman was seeking to kill Mordecai, it ended up killing Haman, and Mordecai, you'll see later, gets, they, they reap some benefits there. But then even, even in the course of salvation, the enemy thought he won when Jesus was crucified. But little did he know that that was all the plan, the plan all along to save his people. He had to die to defeat death. 
And he did when he rose again. It says in Genesis 12:3, when God's speaking to Abraham, Abram about the future of his people, the Jews, it says, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. Proverbs 16, 3, 5 says, Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. The Lord works out everything to its proper end. And I think Esther and Mordecai committed their plight to the Lord by fasting and stepping out in faith. And then it continues on in Proverbs 16. It says, Even the wicked for a day of disaster. Haman definitely had a day of disaster or two. Having to parade Mordecai around, his nemesis, the one who got his goat, and ultimately getting the rug pulled out from under him and having his brilliant plan to destroy Mordecai and his people backfire completely, resulting in his own death. And then it says, The Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this, they will not go unpunished. Haman was punished for sure. In Proverbs 11, verse 8, it says, The righteous person is rescued from trouble, and it falls on the wicked instead. And we see that ring true. So the whole time I've been reading Esther, I read one chapter and I think, plot twist. Then I read the next chapter and I think, plot twist, again. And then when I read this one, I thought, another great plot twist. God may not be mentioned in this book outright, but you can totally see him at work in this book. Like it has been said, you may not be able to see the wind, but you can see the effects of the wind. Same with God. You may not see him mentioned in this book, but you can see his hand throughout the story. I can see it in my life. I can see it in other people's life. He works everything out just as he wills it. He has a great plan for each one of us. And we see that, especially in the book of Esther, that God is taking care of his people, the Jews, intervening in perfect time. Even if it, I mean, I would have felt defeated the minute that there was a decree to kill my people. I would have thought that was the end of it. We're going to die. But then, as they took time to seek him, there was more to the story. There was more to be done, and it wasn't the end. So don't, don't lose heart. And in Isaiah 54, 17, and we'll close with this, it says, No weapon formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue which rises against you in judgment you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this time that we got to spend in your word. I pray that you would just let it sink and stick into our hearts, Lord. Help us to remember that you have a plan and you, you guide us, Lord. Help us to seek you out and to ask and to pray and to trust you, Lord. I pray for the rest of this time in Ladies Bible Study. I pray for the small groups, that you'd be glorified in the discussions, and that you would just be with every lady here and bless them in Jesus' name. Amen.